You know, as we continue the Sermon on the Mount, we are about to close uh, the sermon. And in chapter 7, and going into even today's uh, passage, verse 12, our text is chapter 7, verse 12. But starting, starting next week, 13 and all the way to 20, 28, it is... A conclusion in such a way that Jesus is providing a fork of the road. And you will see two rows and two trees and two houses. And then what will you do having heard what you have heard? So it, it is an um, exciting passage and yet very challenging passage. And today, as we focus on verse 12, it's, it's one of the most commonly known passage about the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a non-Christian friends and unbelieving, unbelieving friends, they probably say, oh, Sermon on the Mount, golden rule. Do unto others as you have them to do to you. Oh, I like that. In Sermon on the Mount, have you seen that? Especially in chapter 7, there are a lot of passages that are taken out of the context, and therefore it's very misused and misunderstood. So today, uh, it is a single verse that we're focusing on, but I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will stir our hearts to encourage, to be encouraged, and to be stirred, to really keep this neighbor love that Jesus commanded us to do. Chapter 7 in general. is about relationships. Jesus called for radical relationships as Christ followers. Um, it starts with our brothers and sisters, and not necessarily Christians, believing families only, but maybe in the, our neighbor, uh, ristically, not unristically. But it's, and then the followed by that is uh, to hardened, hostile scoffers. So how do we deal with those people? And, and which turn to, to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this is a prayer not for, for everything, but for the things that we need to stand before God as judgment, and not to judge, and have a kind heart. The things that we do not have as an innate uh, fallen nature of the humankind. So it is about prayer for everything, but especially for That's the reason why uh, the promise is inclusive. Everyone who seeks shall find. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Everyone who asks shall be answered. But you and I know uh, in reality of life, it's not like that usually. But when it comes to, if you remember the verses like, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's everyone. Inclusively everyone. So when we think about this passage, we need to think about these points in a context. It's not a really blanket check, a blank check that we could ask and believe and claim as a prosperity gospel teacher to say. So today, it turns into uh, our relationship with everyone in general. And seemingly, in your Bible, it probably has a different paragraph also too. has nothing to do with other thoughts. It's one of those collections, random collections of good sayings. But Matthew isn't really like that. Jesus was teaching in context, and he shows that. We'll find out in in a minute. And then, as I mentioned, the conclusion is a challenge 
as we face the fork of the road, we are to choose. Faith has a lot to do with choosing between two trees and choosing between two paths, two roads, and choosing between two houses. So let's look at today's passage in context. Once again, my text today is verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's commonly known as a golden rule. And if you look at the word so, because of this, therefore, so it indicates the continuation of previous thoughts. What are the previous thoughts? It's about prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. And knock, and it shall be opened. And then, as an illustration, Jesus gives this earthly father versus heavenly father. Um, how much more if you are innately self-centered, selfish person, the earthly dads know how to give good gifts. We will never give with our sane mind when our, our, our sons and daughters ask for bread. We will not give stone. When they ask for fish, we will not give snake, serpent. But how much more Jesus is saying, your heavenly father who doesn't have any evilness at all, who is consistently, absolutely good all the time, would give you good gifts. And this soul is that continuation of those thoughts. If you have received gracious, abounding grace from God, do the same to others, one another. And furthermore, maybe when you look at this idea of Old Testament, New Testament, this is directly uh, interconnected with our relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. And even Jesus answering the teacher of the law, What is the greatest commandment? And he said, love your Lord and God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. But he doesn't stop there. The second is this. this. In other words, the greatest commandment is twofold, and you cannot separate it. And love your neighbor as yourself. Our relationship with God is inseparable from our relationship with others. Do you know that God sometimes doesn't want us to pray? And such is the case in Isaiah 1, 15 through 17. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Uh, Hebrews, when they pray, the normal posture was they would stand and then spread out hand like this to the hand, to the heaven. And they pray like this. When you spread out your hands and I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What is it saying? Our religiosity can never be separated from our relationship with others. 
The false religion is the religious or this divorce from our everyday relationship with others. God doesn't want us to even pray when we are oppressing others, when we are ignoring others, when we are harming others, when we are practicing injustice others. Yes, this is, this, as a Christian, very difficult thing to look at because we want to marginalize, compartmentalize our little religious life with our own relationship with our family, my kids, my, my wife, my husband. No, it's in a nationwide as well, too. We are responsible to be salt and light. And we're called to, to practice neighbor love. And it's not easy. It's not cute when you think about what's going on even in our nation right now. Isn't it? That is our responsibility. In turning to New Testament, the same idea, this time comes more uh, our personal relationships. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in my in prayer, in Matthew eleven twenty four to 25, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And that's another encouragement to pray. But there is a qualification. Once again, presuppositions that we talked about last time. Verse 25, when, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So today is a communion Sunday. As we come to the Lord's table, there is no sin that is beyond grace of God. There isn't any person who's beyond forgiveness of God. But the qualification is we are to forgive others. So coming back to this context again, in, in a way that we, we could summarize it this way, it is a Christ-like alternative to judging others, verse 1 through 5, and a rightful response to the boundless grace of God. When we are other-centered and thoughtful of others and seek others' best and well-being, we are most like our Heavenly Father. And thirdly, and this is uh, something that I would like to bring it up a little more, it is much more uh, than a passive rule of self-preservation, and it is actually more an active rule of self-giving as a way of life. Why do I say that? If you look at the history of mankind, all religions have something close to like this golden rule. And there are several men, Buddhism, you name it, like, you know, the Judaism. Uh, but I choose only two to share with you. Confucius and then Stoics say this, almost the same thing, said, do not do to others what you would not wish done to yourself. And the famous Rabbi Hillel, is a, he was uh, one of those most uh, renowned rabbis, most respected, most uh, important figure, Jewish figure in Judaism before Jesus. And the Hillel and the Shammai two different schools of main thoughts of Judaism. But he said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. So now, make an observation. It sounds almost the same. There's something different about it, isn't it? It's all negative. It's about self-preservation. 
You don't like somebody to curse you, so don't curse that person. You don't like somebody to deceive you, so do not do that. But Jesus' word is far more than preservation. It's self-giving. You want to be loved, don't you? Then do the same thing to others. So it, in a way that we run out of the excuses because when you put it in an active self-giving, there are much more limitless of things that we could do rather than preservation is a checkup list that, that we could avoid from. So in light of this, what are some common misunderstandings of the golden rule? At least I could think of three. Number one, it is not merely for our relationships with people like us. Why is people like us easier? Because they're like me. I don't have to really jump over the fence and to really think about it. Not only ethnically, but also in personality difference. You know, if you, if you have been married more than a year, or may I should say more than three months, that you will know how incredibly another person could be so, so different, isn't it? So there used to be a book. I mean, there is a book that I used to really go to that a lot. And men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Speak different language. But it's not just a man and woman, husband and wife. And when you look at even in our church, there are so many different personalities. And sometimes I wonder, how could you think that way whenever we come to some kind of decisions together? So I thought, isn't this normal way? From my point of view, yes. But in order to practice the golden rule, we need to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And if I want to be respected, in the same way, I need to respect that person. Now, this message is, you know, one of those surprising the message that it, I, I think this is one verse, it's a piece of cake, and I'm going to you know, deliver it and challenge them, encourage them. I feel very convicted in many ways. Because what really this brings out is our inability to go beyond same kind of thoughts and same kind of pattern. People like me. I wish everyone could be like me. It's typical way of easy way of loving. And Jesus always brings up this issue. In the uh, Gospel of Luke, when you think about uh, the parable of Good Samaritan, Samaritans and Jews do not get along. I, I mean, they don't even want to go in the same road. So that's why it was unusual for Jesus to go through the Samaria. And then Jesus would use the main character of a helper, a victim who is Jew. The helper is Samaritan. This is very controversial even for them to think about. But we are to practice neighbor, neighbor love with not only people like us, but people who might be very, very different from us. Why is it convicting to us? Because it's, it brings out our self-absorption, how much we are centered around our own world revolves around ourselves. It brings out. By the way, do not be shocked. This is called sin nature. We're going to fight this for the rest of our physical life until we get to heaven. And some of you, ah, I, 
I don't have a bad feelings about certain people or certain third personality. Uh, um, extroverts, I, I could let them be. The introvert, oh, yeah, you know, it's okay. But indifference is a byproduct of self-absorption and self-centeredness. Secondly, the, another common misunderstanding is that it is pointing to what's, when it's convenient for us. It is not merely for when it's convenient or easy for us. It's very also difficult relationship. It's also very costly for us. If you take a look at the golden rule, it's very practical. And I'm going to reveal one of my past uh, failures and uh, struggles. Um, these are the times that I like to be hidden, a secret agent, that I'm not a pastor. So I'm just one of the average Joe. You know, LA Fitness, I was talking to someone. This is the time that the cell phone use was allowed, legal. So I wasn't breaking the law. But because I was really into the conversation, as I'm parking, I didn't pay attention. So I scraped this minivan about, I mean, pretty, pretty deep. Like it's noticeable. As soon as they come out, there was a temptation. Yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm a, I'm a sinner. God have mercy on me. There was a temptation. There was no one around. Maybe I could just walk away, park somewhere else. Because besides, I wasn't doing well financially, whatever the reasons why. So I paced back and forth, paced back and forth. So I couldn't handle the guilt. So I wrote, wrote down. So I, I wish I could be saying that, oh, I love this person. I want to, you know, be treated this way also too. But I wrote my name and phone number, you know, call me. If it's if it possible, I'd like to settle it. My deductible is 500 so maybe I could pay. So I, I, I thought it would be, um, you know, one step further of my commitment was, yeah, it, it should be two, two $300. It's, it's not much. It's just one line. And that person called me, and instead of her... Uh, coming out, she didn't come out, and she sent her husband to come out. Uh, he, he was really tough-looking guy, but he was gentle, nice, and reasonable. Sitting all over coffee at the Lost Bean, he goes, "Well, yeah. So, what do you want to do?" And I said, "If possible, let's get an estimate, and I'll pay for it. I don't want to go through and." I don't want to cause the insurance rate go up. So he came back. I really thought it would be 300 or $400 or something. But he came back with the two estimates. There was one of them was a 700 and the other one was 850 So I'm kind of debating, should I just call the insurance? Uh, going back and forth. And I decide to just commit to it. And then he would not budge about going with a lower rate. So I like this one. Uh, that's $150 more. Can we just go settle with this? So I might call the uh, insurance. So we, we, we might as well call the insurance. So I, I am the guy who did wrong, and I'm kind of trying to convince him. And basically what I said, I had some movie tickets, free tickets that I give, got. <laughs> I'll give you four movie tickets. So he finally grudgingly gave in and you know, settled with this lower estimate. And as I'm thinking about it, it just, uh, 
realizing not only as a pastor, but as a Christ follower, I felt convicted. Holy Spirit is saying, this is your spirituality. This is how you live your life. And remember the Isaiah passage? Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how well you preach, how well you lead, how well you counsel. This is your spirituality, reality of your heart. So it is costly. It's not just when you are in, you have the upper hand. You are the first person who has the power to forgive and power to release. But when you are the person who has to pay the costly recompensation, anything that we need to pay that's part of practical love. Christians do not live inside of people. It doesn't matter no one was around. God sees us. So what, that's what Joseph did. right? In the sight of God, how c- could I do this evil thing to Potiphar's Potiphar wife's temptation, seduction? She was grabbing him. Third misunderstanding, it is not merely for imposing our preferred way of love onto others. So when when you really read gospel and Jesus' teaching, we need to give just plain adult intellectual reading of what it means, natural meaning of it. So I'm, I'm, I am to treat others the way that I want to be treated. Then we become self-absorbed about the way that we want to be loved. And there's actually the management books even come up with the, this idea as criticizing golden rule. You should not treat others the way you want to be treated. True, in, in some sense. You, you know what I mean. When somebody doesn't like to be limelight, you don't want to call them in front of everyone. And just because you're extrovert, you, you like the limelight and public recognition. And if you call them, the introvert person standing in here and everybody's eye on him, even if it's a good thing, it's not how they want to be treated. Oh, that's how I want to be treated. It's not imposing me-centered love. So you should feel loved. We've all received that kind of love, right? Our earthly fathers and earthly mothers who were saying, I do this because I love you. How come I don't feel love if you do this? A case in point, my relationship with Kate, I really love her. From day one to today, I I could honestly say I love her. So every morning, every day, I express my love for her. I'm very affectionate with words and touch, and I grab her, and kiss her and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And say, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> her way of feeling love is through service. If you really love me, clean up that mess. <laughs> oh, but I love you. And then, you know, one of those good conversations that any married couple could do, they said, Judy, can, can I ask you uh, something? What can I change to make you feel more loved? Practice that. In a very safe setting, not in the heat of an uh, argument. And then he, she said this. It was really odd. In one of those things, she's not people like me. If you spend time with 
boys, my sons, our sons, and disciple them, I would feel loved. So I'm going, so my son is my son, but I want to do something to you or, or with you. Or, but you know you care about me when you spend time with my boys, especially spending time caring for their spiritual life. And I finally beginning to understand how she feels loved. Words are cheap to her. But conversely, when she asked me that question, when I come home, would you hug me and just welcome me? You don't have to say much, but say, welcome home. You know, I love you. Before I say I love you, so, you know, that will really make my day. So I come home, I usually have a routine, and when I open the door, I say, Daddy's home! Who's going to kiss me first? And I, I don't say that who's going to kiss me first anymore because our boys are all baking. <laughs> so like, yeah, no. But at least when daddy's home, they say, hi, dad, welcome home. Everyone says that. And our little one comes, hug me. Kate's way over there <laughs> sitting, you know, doing her own thing. So she uh, one, one day came and hugged me. Believe me, I felt really, nothing changed, but all the light was bright, and even the nights are better, you know, that kind of thing. So do not be confused. Just because you like your steak rare, that doesn't mean I'm going to treat this guest with rare steak. And she actually, he actually likes, well done. The principle is love. We don't impose our style of love to others. So what is the true meaning of the golden rule? It is saying the obvious, but we need to say this again. It is to obey the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, practically in all horizontal relationships. Romans 13, verse 8 through 10. This is Apostle Paul's words now. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that's why when Jesus stating the golden rule and said, this is the law and prophet. If we plainly say for our modern readers, this is the sum of the Old Testament, what God desires to live. And then, and so, some of you, um, well trained in grace, but and yet sometimes stress too much on that, might have misconceptions. And Old Testament law is bad, and New Testament grace is good. Old Testament is, uh, New Testament is wow. Do you know that law? was given in grace. God comes, take the initiative with the Israelites. Even Exodus 20, before he gives the law, and I have made you my treasure joy, that you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. And I have delivered you from the land of Egypt from the slavery to land of free and to the promised land and therefore to this. Grace first and as a grace, consequence or result of grace was this. 
And even, even the Israelites, when they continually fail, there was a grace. And that God continually restores them. And even um, Israelites, Israelites continually go to the idol. Um, like even using the prophet Hosea. Hosea. And then like Hosea's physical life was an example and an illustration of God, Israel's relationship with God. So Hosea, Hosea is commanded to go after his wife, who is chasing after another man, who is becoming a prostitute in a way. Do not give, him, give her up. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing and speak to the people. And Hosea 11 is really powerful, isn't it? Oh, Ephraim. Ephraim is a Joseph's son calling Israelites, how can I give you up? My heart is turned upside down. That's grace. Secondly, it is to practice other-centeredness of neighbor love. It is not only choosing to break away from self-absorption, but choosing to practice self-denial and choosing to walk a mile in other shoes. This is how Golden Rule brings out our own sin and sinfulness. And I told you I feel, felt really convicted, right? When I think about this, how could I be so blinded about this person? needs. I thought I, I would be a really generous, nice guy. Unless we deny ourselves first and come out of our self-centeredness, we will interpret others' needs from our own selfish love. That's why the marital conflict revolves around the selfishness. The reason for marital conflict, number one, is selfishness, self-centeredness. So, <clears throat> because Westerners like us tend to equate love with a lot of times of feelings, listen to what neighbor love looks like in Old Testament, we actually went through this passage in our home group uh, study. Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. It's not, it's not your uncle, your, your neighbor, your enemy's ox. Verse 5, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it, and you shall rescue it with him. Why? Because we want our enemies to do the same to our property. The person who's not really in good relationship with us. Do we do that? At your work? And when you have a conflict with your spouse? When you don't like certain personality type at church? Do you practice golden rule? John Stott, um, very helpful in bringing this, the value of a golden rule in our neighbor love. He writes, also it is a remarkably, remarkably flexible ethical principle. Self-advantage often guides us in our own affairs. Now we must also let it guide us in our behavior to others. All we have to do is use our imagination 
put ourselves in the other person's shoes and ask, how do I like to be treated in, th- in that situation? As Bishop Ryle wrote, it settles a hundred difficult points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless, endless little rules of our conduct in specific cases. Indeed, it is a principle of such wide application that Jesus could add, for this is the law and the prophets. That is, whoever directs his conduct towards others according to how he would like others to direct theirs toward him has fulfilled the law and the prophets, at least in the matter of neighbor law. Stott writes that because a horizontal relationship is not end of it all, the vertical relationship with God, and there is the great commitment, a commandment to love our, our Lord God with all our heart, right? So I hope what, what is revealed so far is clear. So none of those uh, cute sayings that we could kind of disregard as one of fortune cookie wisdom. But this is the way to way of life as a Christ follower. So let's think about at least two practical applications. Number one, we are to repent and turn away from our own self-absorption and rugged individualism. So let me stress it one more time with the other passage in the same passage, the same uh, direction from, from Galatians 5, verse 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only to not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In order for us to practice golden rule, we must first deny ourselves. We must first Make a decision to repent from our self-centeredness. I would be worried about you if you're saying, I'm not a self-centered person. That's called denial. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are fully aware of spiritual bankruptcy, even if you lived as a Christian life for 20, 30 years. You have nothing good inside, Jesus is saying. The utter dependence of God comes from that. So which means the first thing that we need to realize is Jeremiah 17, 6, that our heart is wicked, desperately sick, beyond cure. Our default mode, I emphasize again, our default mode is self-centeredness. So we are to repent and die to ourselves and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see my co-worker's need for love, my spouse's need for love, my children's need for love. Not in the way that I interpret, but they in the way that you will see. So this, this golden rule has been abused in many different ways. Masochist, sadist, uh, sadist, those people who like the pain, in the name of golden rule, well, I like, I like it when I get pain, so I'm going to practice the same thing on others. And as a, as a rationale. And then another philosopher came up with this idea of, uh, uh, I forgot the name, the horny Matthew. 
was the, his illustration. The horny Matthew is his young person who's desperately want to get a date, and he's always horny, and he always uh, need for that kind of a physical, sexual relationship as an, uh, in order to be loved. And then he finally gets a date, then he's going to practice golden rule there. It's ridiculous. We need to die to ourselves first. Do you know that it is not, golden rule is not for, in order for us to be saved, but because we are saved, the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching is to the kingdom citizens, those who are saved, act like a kingdom citizen, to live like this. So in a way that we need to really remember, the golden rule is impossible for us to keep continually. We will fail. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to go to the Holy Spirit, ask for forgiveness, and ask for restoration, ask for power and wisdom and His prompting so that we could be restored, so that we could continually become progressively sanctified. Number two, and this is last. I'm going to close with this. We are to look for ways to practice the golden rule by Every day, by using our imagination for neighbor love. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says, Do not think from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also interests of others. Imagination is all we need. But between the imagination and our practice of golden rule are the questions. I, I thought about at least five of them. I had more, but I just consolidated into these five. Number one, how do I want to be treated in this situation? Have I walked a mile in his shoes, in her shoes, in their shoes? Except, I mean, be, rather than thinking I know what you're feeling. We don't know unless we walk a mile in, in his shoes. How does he or she desire to be loved, appreciated, encouraged, respected, and etc., etc.? Not my own interpretation. What excuse or rationalization must I abandon? And then, very importantly, because this is grace, by we walk every day, the last question is, how would I want to be treated when I really blow it. Otherwise, we're going to become legalistic. My wife didn't practice golden rule. So, I'm mad at her. I'm not going to forgive her. And then God calls us to stand before in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 again. I will judge you with the same measure that you measure to you judge. Judge your wife. Judge your husband. No one can stand that before God. Let's continually be forgiving and graceful and compassionate. There is a song. This kind of reveals um, maybe generation gap. Elvis Presley sang this song. And I realized, having researched a little bit, it's actually not originally Elvis Presley's song, but the singer by the name of Joe South. 1969. And this is, yeah, I, I admit there's a lot of hippies and the people who are. But Elvis Presley, in his own way, is singing for racial tolerance and compassion for others. And then Joe South's song was not really popular, but Elvis Presley sang in a live concert and became really popular. And tweaked the words a little bit. Here are the words. If I could be you, you could be me for just one hour if we could find a way to get, a, get inside each other's mind. If you could see, if I, if you could see you through, see me through my, through my eyes instead of your ego, I believe you would be, you be 
I believe you surprised to see that you've been blind. Walk a mile in my shoes, walk a mile in my shoes. Before you abuse, criticize, and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. Now, if you spend the day throwing stones at it, one another, because I don't think or wear my hair the same way you do, well, I may be common people, but I'm your brother. And when you strike out, you're trying to hurt me. It's hurting you. Lord, have mercy. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Before you abuse, criticize, and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. The reason I'm sharing this is not for preferences at all. But this is, I hear the heart cry of average person out there. As a Christ follower, we need to hear not only each other, but the hurting world. They want to be understood because we want to be understood. They want to be, have compassion. We want to be, receive compassion. So what will you do? My challenge as we close is that we need to take this where rubber meets the road. When you go home, do not think of it as something theoretical, but in, you, in the way that you deal with your husband, in the way that you deal with wife, even your children, would you think with your imagination and that Lord will reveal how you want, how he desires you to love them because we want to be loved the same way. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the clarity of your wisdom. And Lord Jesus, thank you for not only encouraging but challenging us to, to live as a kingdom citizen. This golden rule is really the outcome of our, our salvation, having received your boundless grace. Teach us to live out that grace to one another. Would you deal with, the, with our uh, self-absorption? We repent from it. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood that has already set us free from all condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen.